We, um, <clears throat> we had a great time last night. Those were there, amen? amen? It's a great celebration of all that God's doing and has been doing in our church and uh, expectations of what he's going to do in the near future. And uh, yeah, it was just a, another great time of gathering together. And uh, my wife said some really nice things about me. And so we've got that on record just in case anybody missed it. Um, <laughs> No, not really. Uh, <laughs> she did say some nice things, but we didn't record. Anyway, um, God is good. Uh, also, I just you know, wanted to give a thank you. I, did, I missed this last night, but a thank you to uh, our hospitality team, uh, both men and women on that team uh, that uh, put all the meal together last night and got tables you know, ready and all that kind of stuff. And so especially Joy and uh, Joy Petroff and Jeannie Kuiper, they're the kind of the key folks in that make that happen. So anyway, so thank you to all who helped out last night. It was, it was, it was a great meal. Had uh, Los Gordos. Mmm, it was good. Anyway. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention before I get going in my message this morning is that uh, I got a text message from uh, Dan Meyer. Uh, many of you have been around for a while know Dan and Jackie Meyer, and uh, they are uh, been preparing for a little over a year now to move uh, to be closer to their family in uh, North Dakota. And I think it's North Dakota, right? Not South Dakota, North Dakota, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, uh, so they, uh, he, he just texted me, said, hey, I've got, you know, some family coming in this week and uh, to help them kind of do the final pieces they need to do in order to be ready to move out and all that. And so he just said, hey, we're going to be gone next, uh, not going to be at church for the next couple of weeks, but play, pray for us that we'd be able to get uh, a lot done. And so let's just continue to lift them up in, in prayer and uh, as uh, anybody who's moved before, especially that kind of distance, um, that's, that's a hard thing. And so uh, they've been here in Reading in that home for 30 some years. And yeah, so that's, that's just, it's a hard thing. So just be praying for them as well, just to, even emotionally as they process that. And it's definitely what they need to do and, and it's the right move, but uh, it's hard. And of course, you know, after living in a home for 30 years, it's, it's also hard to pack all that stuff up. And so just, uh, yeah, just be lifting them in prayer uh, this morning and this week as they continue to do that. All right. Um, so last night was definitely a, a sweet time of celebration. And um, this morning, or actually this last week, if you remember last Sunday, actually, I, I said, uh, you know, I don't have an Advent series this, this year. And so uh, normally I try to uh, come up with some kind of series, and, and the Lord usually gives me some kind of series for Advent, uh, Christmas-themed of some sort. And, and he hadn't done that as of last Sunday. And so I preached message last week on uh, women in ministry and all of that, and uh, kind of told you that time that I, I had no idea what was coming. Well, the Lord kind of revealed what was coming uh, to me this week, thankful for that. And uh, he's given me a three-part series to preach for the rest of the Advent. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, it's going to be good. But anyway, so it's going to be, uh, it's about winter, right? About embracing winter. Winter is, is one of, believe it or not, the four seasons, right? That we experience every year. Uh, we are entering that winter season right now as uh, seasonally we look around and we see the leaves falling off and, and uh, it's getting colder. And officially, of course, winter doesn't start till December 21st, but it's it's a time that we recognize where uh, you know things are are dying off and uh, and things have changed and and it seems that most life is is kind of out of it and and there's there's not much there to look at. Uh, and, 
And as uh, the Lord brought this, uh, this uh, perspective of seasons together and for us to be embracing the winter season, uh, it came in part from my reflection of the last couple of years. Uh, in, uh, in last year at our annual celebration, I, I talked about how we had just been going through in 2022 uh, uh, a season of pruning. Uh, a spring, you know, late spring pruning season where it was painful and God was uh, cutting out some things that, that uh, some branches that we kind of really liked and branches that we enjoyed and branches that we were surprised uh, that we were begin- they were being cut out. And, and yet I also uh, talked about this reality that we know that in, uh, pruning is for our good. Pruning is for the good of uh, the vegetation, whatever it is that's growing, whether it be grapes or fruit trees or, or whatever. Like that, that pruning time, that thinning of the fruit is important in order to actually help to get a greater harvest. And so last year at this time, uh, I, I forecast this idea that the Lord was giving me that, that we had been through this season of pruning, but we were about to reap a harvest. Last night, we reflected on that harvest, and the harvest is been abundant. It's been a wonderful year that we've walked through of of harvesting. But of course, as we know, after a season of harvesting comes winter. And and as I uh, was praying and and spending time with the Lord uh, over the last couple of weeks, he he brought this to mind that we as a church are not just, you know, in the seasons of nature walking into a winter season, but I think we're in a winter season as a church as well. We have reaped this abundant harvest, but now things are starting to kind of die off for winter. Uh, and, and while we, have a, we are enjoying the fruit of this last season, this last harvest that we've had, we also in this winter season need to begin to prepare for the fruit of next season. Winter, I think uh, one of, there's three at least things that are included in winter. Oftentimes we think that winter is just about, you know, just nothing, just resting. But there's a lot of important things that we do in winter. Three uh, that I've identified, I think, are first of all, winter means that we have to let the old crops die. Second, winter is a time for purification, a time to kind of, you know, fix the things that maybe have been broken. It's a time for walking through the fields and taking out the debris that is left over from the year. And finally, winter is an important time of planning and preparation for the next planting season. It is those three themes that I will be looking at the next three Sundays. Today, looking at the theme of allowing the old crop to die. When we think of death and we think of winter, sometimes we can get a little frustrated by that. We can sometimes think that, you know, that winter is the worst season of all. There's just so lack of life. It's it's so depressing. It's just, you know, it's dark and it's dreary and the the weather's not good and it's a hard time to live through. We can look at winter as being this thing to actually try to avoid and and try to somehow stay in that harvest time to continue to to reap that harvest or, or try to extend it a little bit longer. But death, we need to understand, is not the end. We see winter every year in our world as the leaves fall, as we've talked about, and as things die off. It's something we see every year, but it's not the end. With winter comes anticipation of spring. 
We don't, we don't get too upset about our plants and our flowers and our fruit trees dying and losing their leaves in winter because we know that come next spring, new life will burst forth. Certainly, even in our spiritual lives, we have this reality that death is not the end. Romans 6, 4 reads as follows. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It is uh, 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 the very essence of being a Christian is that we start with winter. We start with dying, dying to the old life, dying to the old self, dying to the old things. You know, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, like we are a new creation, something brand new, right? The, the, the baptism symbolizing the death of that old life and then the coming of new life that springs forth. We certainly mourn the loss of things that die, of people that die, of times that pass away. But with hope, we do so with hope and expectation that new life is just around the corner. But understanding as well that new life will not come unless death comes first. John 12, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It is actually, uh, winter is actually an important season. Death is an important process that we all must go through. We must always allow those seasons of winter to come without fear, without trembling, without fighting it, without pushing it back, without trying to prolong harvest, but actually welcome winter. Embrace winter because we know that in the dying of the things in us that need to die, new life will come. Unless we die to the old, we can never enjoy the new life that God has for us. I want to take a little bit of time on this next point of old crops to consider for a moment maybe some of the things that in this winter season for us as a church that need to die, not just as a church, but maybe individually as Christians. First of all, I think we need to let the good old days die. I don't know about you, I went to my 20-year reunion. Uh, maybe you've gone to your 20-year reunion. After I went to my 20-year reunion, I decided I'd never go back to another reunion. <laughs> but we all know, uh, you know, that 20-year that, that reunion and the, the individuals, our classmates that we love and they're great and, and the ones that just have never moved past their high school glory days. They're continuing to try to reinvent and relive those glory days, those good old days. They're stuck. They don't want the harvest to end. They want to continue to go back there and continue to try to expand it so that it'll go, keep on going. They're, they've never allowed winter 
to come and to move past. Let that, that good old day die and move on. The America that we grew up in, for many of us, no longer exists. We have to let it die. We have to stop striving for it or looking back for it or trying to extend it. We have to stop trying to kind of somehow make that good old day come back. We have to let it go. We have to let it die. The pre-COVID world is gone forever. We have to let go of the things that were in place and the systems and the way we viewed the world back then. We have to let it go. We have to let it die. We have to let the American cultural dreams die. I think we have to let go of the American perspective of retirement and a life of ease. America says that, you know, the, the, the point of life is to get to that point in, you know, the purpose of life is to get to that point where we no longer have to work anymore. Like that, that work is the enemy, that we can just kind of go and do whatever we want to do. We can just have this life of leisure and ease, and we've got, you know, all the money that we need, and we can just continue to just kind of, you know, uh, fade off into the sunset on our beautiful big sailboat. We have to let go of that dream of the future, of retirement, of what that looks like. It's, it's not that retirement doesn't come, but retirement is not what the world has told us it is. The goal of life is not rest, but service. I know there's many men and women in the room who have, are in that season of retirement. And what I see in most of you is exactly that. It is not a season, it's not a time for you to rest. I see you so active and involved in service. And that is exactly the perspective we should have. Another one of those American cultural dreams that we need to let die is rugged individualism. The idea that, that I can do it on my own, that I don't need anyone else. That matter of fact, everything that I work for is for me and for my family, but nobody else. That, 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 that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this on my own. I can do it without anybody, and I can do it my way, right? That, 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 it's, that I can make it happen, that it's up to me, and I have the power to do it. We've got to let this rugged individualism die, because God calls us to life and work, to live and work with and for others. The Bible doesn't call us to, to live for ourselves and to build up all these, you know, towers of, of, of wealth for ourselves. The Bible continually over and over again, as Jesus is our example, comes to give our life as a ransom for others, to be a willing sacrifice, to allow ourselves, our bodies, our energies, our, our money to be poured out for the benefit of other people. We have to let go of living in a virtual reality. We have to die from that. The entertainment world right now is pushing, especially on the next generations, our youngest generations, this idea that virtual reality is better than reality. 
that somehow that they, that they, they want to numb them, they want to get them out of, their, uh, out of this reality life that they're living in because it's so horrible, it's so bad, there's so much division, there's so much torture, there's so much struggle, there's so much, all of these bad things happening. And so we're going to create a whole new reality for them. Video games, VRs, movies, social media, all of this stuff is meant to create an alternate reality from what is actually true. God calls us to live in his perfect and true reality. We also, and this is not just for the younger generation, I think this is for all of us, including me, we also have to let the tendency to numb ourselves with entertainment die. It is amazing to me the billions of dollars that Americans spend on entertainment. Billions of dollars. Just consider the NFL and the the salaries of a guy who plays 17 games a year. Millions, 50 million or more dollars a year. How can they pay that? It's because we have a culture of entertainment. Entertainment to, to numb us again from the reality of our world. No, nothing feels better than at the end of a long day when it's been really huff, tough and it's been a really a real struck excuse me, struggle, to, 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 to plop ourselves down on the couch and turn on a football game or to turn on some TV show that we like or flick over to Netflix and watch a movie. Now, again, all of these things aren't evil in and of themselves. But we have to let, uh, we have to let numbing ourselves with entertainment die. God calls us to engage in every moment the moments that are sweet and beautiful, the moments filled with joy and celebration, and the moments that are hard and painful, the moments when we feel exhausted and just spent and done. Don't numb ourselves from those things. We've got to engage in them. All of life has purpose. All of those things God can use for his glory. But if we numb ourselves to it, every time we feel a certain way, we, we numb ourselves with some kind of entertainment, we're going to miss out on what God wants to do there. We've got to let it die. Another area I think... Uh, that we need to let die is some of our philosophies about church that are based on the old wine. Expecting church to entertain me must die. Again, we're in an entertainment culture and the church has been swept up in that. Not just those who are in leadership, but those who attend. The expectation is uh, we want to find a church where I'm entertained. We don't say that out loud because that's not holy. 
But boy, you know, I just, I don't know, I just don't like that church's worshiper. I just don't like that church's preacher. I just don't like that church's way of doing things. I just don't like the feel of that. I just don't like, and again, don't get me wrong. I mean, the Holy Spirit moves and he can use all of those things and he's orchestrated things in our lives that even if we've done them in a sinful way, he can use them for his glory. But we have to let die the idea that when I show up at church, that God is going to entertain me. That his job is to make me, allow me to have some kind of feeling so that I feel like, oh man, I, I, I really feel spiritual now because I had such a great time at church today. Church is about worshiping the one who is holy. It's about worshiping him in spirit and truth. We have to let die the expectation that short church is going to be like it used to be. Some of us are both clinging to the church that used to exist, the church that you used to, maybe you grew up in, hoping and, 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 and looking for maybe that same church. You just loved the feel of that church. You just loved how it was and you just loved how they operated. And so we're looking for that. But there's others, and this happens all the time. I see this as I read churches, books on ecclesiology. There's so many that go back to Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts, the book of Acts, and they try to say, okay, here is the perfect model for the church. And then they try to transport that today. So we got to look back in order to figure out what the church is today. No, God is moving today. He is developing and, and working in his church today for this time in this culture, in our individual lives. It is going to be different than what the church looked like in the first century. It's going to look different than it did 50 years ago. It's going to look different than it did 10 years ago. Matter of fact, church should constantly be changing and it should always look di- different than it did the year before, the year before that, five years before that. We have to allow the expectation that church is just going to continue to be the way it's always been, die. We have to allow centralized authority in the church to die as well. First Peter chapter 2 talks about the priesthood of all, believe, all believers. I think I mentioned this a few weeks back in another message that I gave, but I, I, I've, come to, I've come to believe that the Reformation did a great thing for the church. And it was based on that verse. The idea that we didn't have to rely on a pastor to interpret Scripture for us. That we have the Bible, and so we individually can look and read and understand and hear from the Holy Spirit what it says. However, the, the Reformation, in some sense, the Reformation threw out too much. <laughs> in other senses, the Reformation didn't go far enough. And perhaps that's what we're walking into now is a further Reformation of the church. Because the reality is the Reformation didn't throw out the old leadership structure of this top-down perspective that the pastor is the highest authority and everyone else is under him. The reality in Scripture is that Jesus is the highest authority. He is the head of the church. And the priesthood of all believers means that every one of us gets our, our understanding of who Jesus is from him himself. Each of us individually. Now, he brings us together to fellowship in community. And as such, we all have different roles we play. My role is to get up here and, and, and preach at you or to you or with you sometimes. And, but, but that's not everybody's role. 
That is my role, but it also doesn't mean that I am the highest authority. It doesn't mean that I come into your life and tell you how or what Jesus is calling you to. It means that I encourage you to seek Jesus because he's our authority. He's the one that dictates where we go, each of us individually, through our unique relationship with him. We have to let centralized authority in the church die. We have to allow the business model market analysis church die as well. I've read a lot of leadership books about church and just leadership, leadership books in general in my life. Surprise, surprise. Um, but I picked up a book the other day. This was uh, probably over a year ago now. Uh, I, I don't remember if somebody got, gave me or, or I just found it you know, laying around somewhere, whatever. I don't remember how I came to, upon this book. But I read uh, like the first one or two chapters and that was all I could stand anymore. And I think the Lord has just totally trans because I used to eat that stuff up and think this is the way, like this is the business model of the church. This is how you do it. You take these business practices that work in business and then you just put them in the church and then you're going to have a successful church and it can continue to grow. And you know, if you just do this and that and you, you make sure you have a, a good welcoming program, make sure you have a good follow-up program with that welcoming you know, thing. If you make sure you have good, good stuff on stage, you got to have good words. All this entertainment, all this business stuff, like we're marketing Jesus. Like, that's the way to draw people in. Is we've got to somehow entertain them. We've got to kind of draw them in by, uh, by uh, you know, having this amazing, you know, uh, presentation each week. But I'm just done with it. We have to let this die. My conviction, and this is from the Lord this year, is that he is, he is constantly, like, just over the last six months just saying, Sean, stop leading how you used to lead. It's not that the leadership of the past was wrong, but I am doing a new thing. Will you follow me into it? The books that I've read about leadership, business model, how to do things. It's like, no, stop looking at that. Stop operating in that. And it's, it's amazing how much it is in me. We have to die to a business model style of church. The church is an internal family. It is not a business. We are not marketing Jesus. We are here worshiping him. If you want to come and worship, you're welcome to come. We would love to have you. But we are not going to entertain you. We're not going to make you happy. We're going to, we're going to just worship on Jesus. Amen. We have to let uniformity and conformity in the church die. We have thousand plus different denominations in the Christian church. Unbelievable. How can there possibly be that many different denominations that have varying degrees or beliefs? While I'm not saying that all of those denominations are wrong <laughs> and that we shouldn't have a bunch of different churches, I am saying that we have to stop looking for the church that believes everything I believe. And we have to, as church leadership, stop expecting everybody in the church to toe the line of what we believe. 
we have called uniformity and conformity unity. It is not. Jesus prayed for our unity, not our conformity. Jesus prayed for us as a people to come together in unity, not forced conformity. True unity only comes with diversity. It is my belief that we need people with different theological bents to be a part of this community because it's when we all come together with those different perspectives that we are able to then follow Jesus more fully because the reality is all of us have a tendency to glorify our own thinking. We glorify our own theologies. We think this is the best one. This is the, if you don't believe this way, then you are, I'm sorry, I don't even know if you're a Christian. Like, come on, we, we need to get over that. None of us have perfect theology. And I would say that's not the point. We need to have a theology. We need to understand who God is as he's revealed himself in his word. But we don't need to have perfect theology because really it's impossible. Again, he is an infinite God. We have just these little tiny minds. <laughs> One other area we need to let some stuff die is in our religious routines. Along with that, uh, I think we need to let die a casual and a superficial faith. Faith that never risks must die. Living in America, this is a Christian, with a Christian worldview, at least it used to be. It's not anymore. We're going to let that die. It's not the America we used to live in. Living in America, we were able, you know, faith was easy. We grew up with it in the schools. Uh, those, you know, my age or older, right? Yeah, we grew up with it in a sense. You know, there was prayer in the schools, or at least it wasn't totally denied. And, and, and the Bible stories were everywhere, right? I mean, it was just, it was just part of a culture. Part of it, everybody kind of knew that was from the Bible, right? Or that, or that story. Oh, yeah, I know, I know David and Goliath. Yeah, that's a great, you know, and, and maybe some still do, but it's, it's fading away. But because we grew up in a Christian culture, faith was easy. I mean, we were getting blessed by God, I mean, abundantly, financially, in all kinds of ways. I mean, think about America and what we've experienced. It's amazing what God has done and how he's blessed us. Faith has been easy. We could, we could live our life of faith and, 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 you know, church, you know, we could go and we can spend a lot of time in prayer with God and we could do all the right things and we can be really know Jesus and be in intimate relationship with him. But our faith has, was never tested. The reality is that the faith that never risks, it must die because truth faith demands that we trust in God in what we cannot see. Faith is not trusting in God after he's delivered. Faith is trusting even if the delivery never arrives. We have to let untested faith die. There's too many of us that just don't want to go through hard times. Again, I think we're still living in the good old days. 
where we could be a Christian and, you know, not face much persecution or much tension. We can live in a world where, you know, we didn't have to worry about our neighbor and what they're going to do. <laughs> we could live in a world where we could go to the mall and didn't have to worry about what's going to happen or go to school and not worry about what's going to happen at school or some horrible thing. We, we lived in a world where it was kind of easy. And we, we want, you know, kind of this, you know, faith where it's, you know, it's just kind of easy. We don't, we don't want to go through trials. We hate James 1. Consider it pure joy? What? Come on, God. James, he must have got something. He must have missed something there. It's, that's a mistranslation. It's got to be. But we have to let an untaste tested faith die. The reality is what we've been experiencing the last few years and what is to come, if your faith has not been tested, you will not survive. You will not make it through. You will not stand boldly on God's word. You will not stand boldly next to Jesus when all the attacks come. If you want to face persecution and get through it and remain faithful to Jesus and to see him give you that ability to do it, then your faith must be tested. We need to stop trying to avoid those tests and actually pray the risky and crazy prayer, God, test my faith, strengthen my faith, help me to, to rely on you more fully, to trust you more fully, to follow you more fully. Lord, help me. I need that faith tested today. And understand, a test of our faith is never about us. It's always about the one who we're putting our faith in. As he leads us into pain and suffering and difficulty and tension, those faith tests, he shows up. We just got to keep looking for him. We have to let expecting and seeking a comfortable life die. I'm not saying that a comfortable life is evil and wrong but we're walking into a new season. The comfort in the past, that life that we've been able to live, some of us, we've got to let it die. There's, again, too many of us avoiding chaos. Too many of us avoiding strife. Too many of us trying to avoid the painful and awkward things in life. But God has called us into those places. Jesus is again our example. He stepped in to the storm. He had a really nice place right next to God his Father. Holy Spirit and him were playing, you know, like, I don't know, his poker, is that unholy? I can't say that, right? Um, goldfish. They played goldfish. It was amazing. <laughs> Holy Spirit always was winning. Anyway. He had a great place. And then what did he do? He says, oh my gosh, the world is in chaos. It's, it, 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 it's, it's being destroyed. Let's just turn it back. Yeah, I don't want to look at that. That's ugly. No, no, he said, we're called to step in. The disrupted life is the life of greatest adventure. 
And we have to, I think, let die the unchanging spiritual, our unchanging spiritual practices. I think there's too many of us that have relied on the same spiritual practices maybe all of our life since we became a Christian. The same devotional that we use, the same reading through the Bible in a year or two-year program that we've used, the same routine of getting up and starting with this and then doing that and then moving on and then later doing this, the same prayers that we've always prayed, the same scripture verses we've always repeated and memorized. We have to let those unchanging spiritual practices die. They were good for a season, but we need new nourishment. We need different nourishment. My conviction is that it is Jesus who calls us to different spiritual disciplines for different seasons in our life. And if we just do the same ones year after year after year and never seek and ask Jesus what he wants us to do now, we will get to that point of tension in our life. And Jesus had been calling us to a different spiritual discipline, but we ignored him and we just kept relying on the old ones. And when we get to that point of tension, we won't have what we need in the moment. Because the spiritual practice that he wanted us to do would have given us that, but we refused it. Every year is going to be different. We're going to need different nourishment every year. Not to mention, this is how Jesus expands our, our connection, our, our, our appreciation for all that he is and all that he does. These are just some of the things that I could imagine it and I wrote out here that we need to die to in this winter. I'm sure there's many, well, there is definitely many, many more. And perhaps as I've been walking through this, there's been other things that you've thought of even just in this time. Winter is a time to let things die. It's hard. It's maybe a little bit sad. I really enjoyed that spiritual you know, practice. That was, really, I really, that was really fun. But we don't let it die without hope. We let it die with the expectation that new life is coming. New life is good. It, it, it sparks new growth, right? Uh, we, we want to see new growth in us. This is the reality. If we continue to cling to the old crops, then we will never experience anything new or new growth. The, the old crops can't bear something different. We need to pass, we need to sow some different seed in order to get something different. And it's through that new seed that new life and new growth comes. New life is good. It exposes us to new things, new practices, new ministries, new people. Imagine the difference between a routine uh, 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 supplicational prayer life versus a spontaneous prayer life. Again, imagine the, the, the list of 
prayers that you have that you just go through every day and you pray that. Again, this isn't bad. This is not a good versus evil. This is one way of praying versus a spontaneous prayer life where you allow the Holy Spirit to bring stuff to mind and you just pray whatever comes out. The difference between that, imagine that. Whichever side you're on, if you're the spontaneous one, maybe you need the routine. Maybe you need that list. The routine folks who have that great list, maybe you didn't let that list go for a while because it needs to die and step into new life, a spontaneous prayer, and trusting in the Holy Spirit to give you the things to pray for in the moment. Imagine a Bible in the year process versus a Bible memorization process. Again, different fruit, different growth, different uh, life in that, right? And so whichever side you're on, maybe it's time to do something different. Imagine women's ministry versus youth ministry in the church. Whoa, that's very different. That's, that's, I don't know about that. I mean, I could do women's ministry, but youth ministry, or I could do youth ministry, but nobody wants me to do women's ministry. Anyway, but so, you know, it's like, you know, the, imagine though the different things that you're going to learn, the new life that's going to come out of that, the new opportunities that are going to come out of that if you do something different. Imagine connecting with your neighbors versus just connecting with your friends. Imagine connecting with the homeless versus just connecting with the folks at church. Again, neither one is wrong or right, right? But it's like, are we willing to do something new? Are we willing to let the old process, the old routines, the old way we did things, let it die so that God can bring something new? The new life is good. In new life brings opportunity for new blessing and for new challenges. You know, when when something new starts, it always feels and looks really awkward, right? It takes a while, right? You know, it takes a while to kind of get used to, okay, how are we going to do this, right? What does this look like? How does this go? What's, what do I need to be thinking about? What do I need to be doing? It's uncomfortable. And that's good because uncomfortable makes us dependent. We need Jesus. We need him to step in and help us. The new is also, it's, it's mysterious. The problem sometimes with routines that we're in is that we, we know what's coming. We know the next book that we're going to read in our Bible through a year. We, we know what's coming. We've done it for 20 years now. It's, okay, yeah, it's Elijah. I love Elijah. You know, wait, there's no book Elijah. <laughs> it's all right. It's, it's okay. He's a good guy anyway, at least. He should have wrote maybe. Anyway, Ezekiel, right? Whatever, that's the next book there, you know, kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? We, it, it's, the, it's the routine. We know what's coming, but when we step into something new, we're like, oh boy, I don't know what's coming next. What, what's this going to be like? How am I going to do this? What's, how's, what's going to happen? Another part of the opportunity of new life is that we, we develop new strengths and new skills. We, we may find strengths that we never knew we had just by doing something new. New spiritual practice, a new way of being involved in ministry, a new way of connecting with with different people, a new way of living our life, a new perspective. Imagine what would happen maybe if we, instead of going home and clicking on the TV to watch some show in order to numb ourselves from our long day where we're exhausted, we actually came home and we flipped on worship. And we got on our knees and we said, Lord, I'm so exhausted right now. Would you please just come and refill me? I don't know. Who knows maybe what would happen? (laughs) Something new. And we find new forms of God's provision for us. Huh. If we just do the same routine, live in the same comfortable life that we've been living for years and years and decades, 
We, we only get to experience a small portion of God's goodness and provision for us. Do you understand? This is partly why tragedy is so amazing. Because when we step into a time of tragedy, that we get to tap into a whole different aspect of who God is that we would never get to experience unless we were in that tragedy. This is the same thing with new life. When we choose to let the old way, the old pattern of things and choose something new, it's an opportunity for us to experience more of God. Again, God is infinite. Are we just going to be happy with knowing, you know, this small portion of who God is? Or are we going to let maybe that die and say, Lord, I, I want to know more. I want to experience more. The blessing of new life is that we get to encounter different aspects of God. We get to expand our experience. Our faith gets strengthened and we deepen our understanding. I think there's maybe a false perspective among some of us that the Christian life is about perfection. The Christian life is about, you know, Achieving holiness, perfect holiness. We are holy. The moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord. The Christian life is, a not, is not about perfection. It's not about becoming holy. It's about growing in the holiness that we have. It's about developing and experiencing that. It's about enjoying that holiness. After leaving Egypt, the Israelites were thrust into a whole new world. Despite how horrible the conditions were, and in spite of how awesome the promised land was, it took less than 24 hours for them to begin complaining about their condition. It didn't matter to them how great the promises were. They were so comfortable with their routine that they fought God every step of the way for 40 years. While we tend to be critical of the Israelites, we should consider if we are any different. God promises to always be with us, to empower us, to provide for us, to protect us, and to comfort us no matter what comes our way. Yet the slightest disruption in our lives and we immediately start complaining. Every job change or change of schedule, every relationship that ends, every com uh, completion of a devotional, every reshuffling of the chairs at church, every stock market dip, every move from one city to another sends us into a huff, and with a sideways look pouting in our corner, we question God's motives and his love and goodness and power. Church, we've got to be more resilient. The fact is the church, the Christian life is not about reaching a point of comfort or getting into a rhythm that works. It's not about finding your niche and serving in the ways you know how. The Christian life is about constant death and rebirth. It is about Jesus repeatedly convicting us of sin, challenging our perspectives, and inviting us into something new. 
The Christian life is about letting go of our old life and the ways of doing things and radically following Jesus and working alongside him to bring his kingdom into our world. It is about being willing to sacrifice and be poured out so that others can encounter Jesus. The Christian life is about dying to self and allowing Christ to live in and through us. As we choose to allow the old things die, he sparks new life in us. And through that new life, we enjoy greater intimacy with him greater dependence on him, greater faith in him, greater awareness of all he's doing, greater confidence in who we are, greater opportunities to join Jesus in building his kingdom, and greater empowerment to love God and love others. We must not fear death. We must not cling to the old sources of comfort and provision. We must let the old things die in order to make room for the new life that Jesus is longing to bring. The active Christian who's being led by the Spirit is always walking in and through seasons. Times of spring when we enjoy the excitement and pleasure of new life. Times of summer when we kind of prune off some the new life in order to more fully enjoy its fruit. Times of fall with all its celebrations over the abundant harvest. And times of winter when we purposefully let the old crop die to make room for the new crop that's coming. As we walk in this winter, church, let us embrace the death of the old crops. Despite the joy and pleasure that they've given, their fruitfulness has been spent. Death is essential. It is only when death has finished its work that new life can sprout from the soil of our lives. We must let them go so God can initiate that new life in our hearts, in our souls, and in our church. We must trust that the future crops he will bring will provide for our needs, provide in abundance. We must keep our eyes on Jesus and allow him to lead us out of our comfort, out of our routines, out of the old, and into the new and the amazing encounters that he has in store for us. Worship team, will you come forward, please? A fitting message for a communion Sunday. Because once again, it's Jesus who is our example. Not only did he, was he willing to leave the comfortable place that he was to come and enter our chaos, but he was also willing to lay down his life and die for our benefit. It was only when he died, that he could then step in and break the chains of sin and death. It was only after he died that we could celebrate his resurrection. 
And so once again, we identify with our Lord and Savior, seeking to, to, to not only get to be a part of who he is and what he's doing, but also seeking to follow in his footsteps, that we would somehow be like him, that we too would be willing to get out of our comfort zones and enter into those stormy seas, those stormy times, those times of chaos and, and seasons of death but that we would also allow ourselves to be poured out, allow our lives to be given for the sake of others. As we partake of the elements here in a moment, I just want to encourage each of us to be reflecting on the things that Jesus died for you. Reflect on the sins, (laughs) reflect on the, 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 the old sinful life that you used to live. Reflect on that reality that, that he died so that, 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 that could break, he could break the chains of that sin. But also reflect on the things that maybe he's calling you to die to today. In this winter season, what are the things that he's been bringing to mind throughout this message? Things that you need to let go of. Things that you need to let go, that you need to let die. Things, comfort zones that you need to step out of perspectives and philosophies that need to be let go of so you can change and have a different perspective, a new perspective. And as you partake of these elements and as you remembered what Jesus died for and also remembered what maybe he's or considered what he may be calling you to die for, partake of the elements with a commitment to follow Jesus wherever he leads, whatever that looks like for his glory and for new life and blessing in our life. Mike, would you mind uh, standing at that table to, to um, yeah, present the elements and I'll go back over here. And, um, just in, invite you to come uh, once I get back there and receive the elements and then you can return to your seat and take those as you feel ready to take those elements uh, individually and after everyone's been served and Grace and the worship team will uh, lead us in a couple of songs.
us. It's because you're with us that we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear when life starts changing. We don't have to fear when the old things begin to die. We don't have to fear when we choose to let those things die. We have to fear the new. We don't have to fear what's coming. You are with us. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for choosing not to let us continue to struggle here and just spin things out of control, Lord. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming as, a, 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 as an infant, as a baby, as, as, as experiencing the whole of Christian life. Thank you for willingly dying for us, allowing your life to be a sacrifice, so, to let it go so that new life could be birthed. And Lord, it's our hope as well that every winter that we enter, that while it may be sad to see the old things go, there's always hope for the new things that are about to come. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for being here today. Uh, we're going to continue to do another song or two, I think. Is that right? Yeah. So we'll stay. If you'd like to stay and worship, that would be great. If you'd like prayer, again, we would love to pray for you. Maybe there's some things the Lord's bringing out and uh, you're struggling to die to those things. And maybe you need to have somebody just to come alongside you in prayer. We'd love to pray. Uh, if you'd like to spend some time uh, fellowshipping with others, then go ahead and head out into the fellowship hall and let the doors close behind you and you guys can fellowship out there. And God bless you, church. Have a great Sunday.